Well, we're back for the Truth Exchange podcast, part two of Male and Female is Very Good. The Truth Exchange podcast is the, the program where we have conversations about worldview all through the lens of oneism and twoism. It, it wasn't just an arbitrary eeny, meeny, miny, mo no. that God placed the headship on Adam uh, with masculine pronouns in masculine terms, in masculine imagery. Not always, we know. Yeah. Definitely not always. But as Josh said, most of the time, it seems to me at the very least, that's how God wants us to think of him for the most part. And so that would make sense of why this office of headship, which I suppose, you know, in in the abstract, if you didn't know anything else, could have been just placed either on the man or the woman. So the woman could have been created first. But why the man? It's the order of Masculine creation. about God, if I can say that. Yeah. Sorry, Josh. You know, I was just saying it's the order of creation. And there is a, yeah. there is a natural hierarchy to that. And this is why Christ had to be a man. Adam was tasked with ruling creation, even when Eve was given to be his help helper, help meet. And then within the created order, we see this, that fathers naturally rule families. Uh, they, they draw them to a created telos. God's covenant dealings have always been exclusively with men, the priesthood, male. Men were the federal head of the people. Christ himself, he takes on this role as a res- representative of a, of a new human race, as a biological man. And, and doing so, he recapitulates Adam's role. That's why we call him the second Adam. And appointing men exclusively to be to to be the head of the church. The, culturally, we're we're trying to and eliminate father rule because in the scriptures, the scriptures are very clear of this hierarchy within within the order of the cosmos is that well of the ultimate father, right? I believe in God the Father, Maker of heaven and earth. So let's. Yeah. I, I guess I let the cat out of the bag with the definition. What is what is patriarchy? And I think the best broad definition would be father rule. Yeah, the absolute definition according uh, yeah, to the Greek. Peter knows more about that than any of us. I mean, I, I, here's a, here's a you know, to, to sort of throw another book on the pile, as well as Peter's books, but this is a very good book, um, uh, God's Design for Man and Woman, a Biblical Theological Survey by Margaret Kostenberger. That's a that's a very good book, and and you know it's got a whole chapter actually on patriarchs, kings, priests, and prophets, and it points out that you know, all through the Bible, the, the model of authority um, is 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 male headship. That that is the the general male of author, uh, model of authority, and of course, patriarchy, yeah, literally meaning father rule, uh, is 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 one form of that, or maybe a way to. Uh, capture that entirely but uh, to, to say to throw something out controversial it seems to me that the bible is a pa- generally has a patriarchal understanding of authority there's more to it than that and the only reason we might feel very uncomfortable with that uh, is because culturally particularly over the last you know 50 years we have been in a way conditioned to think of uh, patriarchy as oppression, mm-hmm. uh, oppression by men, uh, patriarchy as misogynistic, that is a kind of hatred of women, and, and therefore uh, patriarchy as, as illegitimate. But that's not how the, even though the term patriarchy isn't strictly speaking used in the Bible, the concept of it is all through it. Mm-hmm. That, that being, being a father carries a kind of status and even being a male. Mm-hmm. makes certain status 
possible. I mean, just because you're a male doesn't mean suddenly you can become a leader in the church. Right. But to have a place of authority over everyone else in the church. That's certainly one um, of the requirements, though, is being, yeah, a, it, being a male. It's a <laughs> yeah, it's a, ne it's a yeah. necessary condition. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting. I, I guess I, I think uh, to go along with what you're saying, Stephen, the Apostle Paul would say things that might be in support of what you're saying. In 1 Corinthians 11, 8, he says, For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Mm -hmm. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. So there's an, there's an order there that God places on humanity, which uh, makes man to play a particular role and a woman to play a, a, a different role. Well, and man's response, you know, it's, it's so interesting because we think of patriarchy as when, when we hear father rule, or let's say, let's just say male rule, because I think that that's what a lot yeah. of women hear when we refer to the patriarchy as male rule. So um, you, you would expect that when God created Eve for Adam in in the patriarchal mindset that we have at play here in our culture, that Adam's response to receiving Eve would be like, finally, where's my dinner? <laughs> that he's going to be like, I've got laundry for you to do. And that, you know, it's just this oppressive thing. Well, no, that's not how Adam responds. He breaks into poetry and praise. He's delighted by this gift that has been given to him in the form of the woman. Finally, you know, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Like there's this completion and this relief and this joy that now they together, he as the patriarch, um, you know, they can go in to fulfill the mandate that he's been given. And so then you look, fast forward to good old 2021, and we look at the fact that in the non-patriarchal, you know, society that we're creating, that it's a man who is presenting as a woman who gets lauded for being the first woman admiral that's, you know, so it's, it's not like women are freed from oppression where before they were oppressed and had like this secondary oppressed state. <clears throat> That's not what the Bible presents at all. And even in the things that Paul and Peter say about how men are to regard their wives and to treat women, um, it's very tenderly. It's there to be cherished, there to be treated as treasures. So I just struggle with this idea that doing away with the patriarchy is a protection for women. I, we see that played out all over the place. It's not a protection for women. And there's certainly abuses within, within patriarchal Absolutely. movements, right? I Absolutely. Mean, we, we certainly, and that's, and part of that it, aspect is, is that we are sinful fallen beings. I, I agree. Mary, you and I have talked a, a little bit about this in past. You had mentioned that the, there's the recent podcast with the, was it the rise and fall of Mars Hill? Yeah, there are some books that have been written and this is not going to be the podcast that addresses those books, but there's been some books that have been written on the issue of patriarchy abuses within the patriarchy mm -hmm. uh, abuses within certain movements that are pro comp, uh, pro complementarian yeah. views that hold male leadership, the complementary uh, relationship between men and women to do a work in creation to steward well 
we're certainly seeing not only outside the church, but also in the church, some sort of rumbling and push against creational order, mm-hmm. natural order, mm-hmm. but also even within pushing against special revelation that we do have. And as I said earlier, even if we didn't have the scriptures, creation certainly testifies to there, there is a hierarchical order within within the cosmos. But then we yeah. also have the scriptures that do give us the, that revelation that mm-hmm. that affirm it. Well, uh, I just I think, Joshua, as people have talked about those abuses that are happening, you know, and we've dealt that with that to a certain degree, even within our own congregation, seeing some of those things come out. I would say that the answer is not to do away with what scripture says. It's to figure out where scripture has been ignored to allow for those abuses. Right. So within a complementary um, complementary system, I don't know the, um, you know, the intricacies of every single one of these situations, but the ones that have been more public where I have read the testimony of women who have been abused, it's very clear when you read the things that have happened within those churches that men were not being held to their biblical roles. So it's not that patriarchy was the problem. It's that patriarchy was being misused and only practiced in part. And that's why I think that distinction between man rule and father rule is really important because where sin is not at play, fathers love and protect and give of themselves sacrificially for their wives and their children and for the people, the weaker people in their communities. And so as we've read these stories about women who have been in horrendous situations to, to do away with those systems of protection, doesn't protect them rather men need to be held accountable in the same way that, that women are being held accountable. And I have the privilege of saying, you know, Peter, Dr. Jones, you are one of my elders, but I have been the beneficiary beneficiary of those structures in our own church where I have been protected, where in my life, those structures were held up. And because of that, I was treated with great care, great respect and, and great help. So I don't think ever the answer that feminism has, which is we need to recreate the system is the answer. It's funny that, uh, we keep hearing, even from Black intellectuals, that the great problem of the Black culture is the absence of fathers. Mm-hmm. And uh, even though it's a subject that's rarely raised, some have raised it to great effect to show how young Black men have suffered deeply from yes. a lack of fathers. So really, this opposition to patriarchy ought to be placed within that kind of a social context that People need fathers, yes. and uh, without them, uh, society collapses. Virgil Walker and Daryl Harrison talked about this in their Just Thinking podcast. They had an episode that they did called Did God Really Say, where they were dealing specifically with women in the pulpit, but they were talking too within the Black church that they have suffered the consequences of having early on brought female pastors, you know, for lack of a better term, but ordaining women into roles within the church that men should have held because men weren't there. So that was a really interesting perspective to me. And there was a video going around recently. I don't know if you guys saw it of the dads who started going into the school in Louisiana. Yeah. 
And what I thought was so remarkable in that video was one of the girls had said, yeah, they just have to give me a look. Don't you know about the power of the look? It doesn't even have to be their father who's giving that look, but it does have to be from a man with a father's heart who is offering that structure. There's just, there's something to men that God has created that is beautiful and good and that sin has harmed, but it's the sin that needs to be addressed, not the structures that God created. Mm. I would also just quickly point out that uh, fatherlessness is, is not merely a challenge to, to the black community. It's, it's almost as much a challenge to the white community as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the last stat I heard on fatherlessness uh, among African-Americans was from uh, uh, Far- uh, Farrell's book, um, The Boy Crisis. Um, and he said it was something like 75% of African-American men are growing up without their father in their home. It's not that far from that for, for, white, for white boys as well. It's, it's not at 75%, but it's, it's, it could be somewhere like 60% or something like that. It's, it's phenomenally high. It's, mm-hmm. it's a problem that afflicts uh, boys, particularly from yeah, white parents with white parents and black parents. But one thing I noticed that was very interesting as we all know, over the last sort of 18 months, two years, sort of questions of sexual abuse and, and, and sexism and misogyny, particularly among conservative evangelicals, has been big. And of course, probably the big, uh, the big case of all of that was the Ravi Zacharias case. Yeah. But one, one thing I noticed is that at least in one sort of the most famous and notorious instance of that, where a, a married woman... Uh, found herself sort of being pursued by Ravi. One thing I noticed is that in that case, and, and I believe it's in, in many others as well, often what happens is that the woman goes to the minister looking for a father figure, actually looking for a patriarch, mm. and the patriarch fails her. Uh, and it can, and it's more, it can be more complex than that. It could be both of them um, spontaneously... Uh, falling into sin together it doesn't have to be the man tricking the woman Uh, women are quite capable of sinning for themselves they've got agency but what i often notice is that the the woman sort of goes to the leader looking for that guidance looking for that advice looking for that leadership looking for that patriarch and so here they are in a in a in a situ in, in a hard situation i'll use the word vulnerable although i, I don't really like that word that much i think it's overused but here they are in a vulnerable situation and they go to the source of where they think the solutions may come they go to a male leader they don't go to a female leader they go to a male leader so they go to the patriarchy and it all goes bad it all goes south often because of the the lack of of restraint from the patriarch and consequently, the patriarch fails his office um, of patriarch. And that, of course, then brings the patriarchy under critique. But I, I guess just one thing I've noticed is that it's often, it's, it's generally when the patriarch has failed the office that the patriarchy comes into critique. And a lot of these women who've been most damaged by what many would call the patriarchy actually started out looking to the patriarchy uh, as a solution, as a source of comfort, as a source of hope. Mm. Um, yeah, to be controversial, I wonder if the Me Too movement is not 
in a certain sense, a call for fathers to protect the woman. I know that's not exactly the case, but there's a notion there of an upstanding man, which the scriptures would show is found in, a, in an honest and caring father and husband. So we mm. do have in our culture, even in the Me Too movement, a call for a solid man. Yeah, that's interesting, Peter, because really what they're saying is this is not right. Yep. This is not what right what's being done to us, which begs the question, what what do you expect? And it, I think that if you talk to women about what they do expect and want, it is men who do follow those lines of strength and protection and nobility in the ways that they behave towards women. And, you know, it just in public in general and in private, I guess, when when they think nobody else is looking, we want that integrity. Yeah. Which is what we mean by patriarchy. It's not an evil thing. It, it's a good thing that right. as you're suggesting, and I was, women want that. Right. Well, and I think that's some, to some of what Stephen is saying. I think, I think you're really on to something, Stephen, where, you know, they come looking to the patriarchy because that should be the place where they are helped. And when they are not, and when it's turned around then to be abusive on them, the ugliness is even uglier. Like there are layers of ugliness, damage, harm that are brought in that do tremendous damage. Yeah. And, and we've sort of said this in, in other podcasts that a lot of it, a, a lot of sort of the, the bad rap that, that patriarchy gets is because in, in, our, in our modern culture, we tend to associate authority uh, with rights. We're very much living in a rights culture. And so when we think of male authority, we think, oh, you know, men have all these rights, women have none. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look at the Bible's understanding of what it is to be head and what it is to be in authority, particularly for human, ma- human men, human males, mm-hmm. uh, it's defined in terms of duties. It's not defined in terms of rights. Um, and... And, and what happens, I mean, what, what corrupts patriarchy or patriarchy is corrupted from several things, uh, but, and one of them is just giving in to the natural temptations that, 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 that are on fire in, in most men. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other thing is taking on a worldly understanding of what it is to be an authority, and that is being able to uh, wield power in the interests of, of rights that you think you have. If we go to sort of the sort of the classic text, one of the classic texts on the relationship between husbands and wives that talks about the authority structure, you know, of course, it's um, Ephesians chapter five, mm-hmm. um, you know, verses twenty-two to you know twenty-nine around there, and certainly, you know, wives are to submit to husbands, and and that's that is a command that that is a, that is a, a duty, um, and the husband is the head of the wife. That is a a status, but then it goes on to describe sort of the husband's uh, uh, relationship to the wife, and, and it is in terms of a command, a duty. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. If men really understood what the office of the patriarch actually is, I think a lot more men would probably not be so enthusiastic about it 
and, and maybe a lot more women would be a lot more enthusiastic about it. And, and, and maybe one of the problems, I mean, one of the problems with modern society is that we are raising kidults. And I know, Joshua, uh, you've got a lot to say about this, and I hope we hear from you. Uh, oh, no, but, I don't. No, I don't. I was just going to say we, we should bring up that what you and I talked about before we started recording. Mm, yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I want you to chime in, but um, but we, we, we do. One of the problems is sort of the infantilization, um, I think, particularly of, of men. Uh, it, mm-hmm. It's less easy for women to be infantilized over long periods of time because women biologically uh, have children and that, that sort of forces a woman to grow up. Uh, but for men, uh, it can be it can be party all the time, mm-hmm. and um, but and so it shouldn't be surprising that that a lot of men, in fact, don't want to take on the responsibilities of of fatherhood or the responsibilities even of 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 leading churches. And many churches are finding themselves relying more and more on on women to do jobs that earlier they would have had men do, uh, because the very nature of patriarchy is not one based on grounded on rights and sort of self-aggrandizement. It is based on duties and sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Well, we know how Christ loved the church. It's explained all throughout the New Testament. He died for the church. And that is the, the if you want to know what the essence of patriarchy is, it's not power as an end in itself. And it's not getting your rights and it's not using women as your pleasure or understanding the role of women as being for the pleasure of men. It's nothing like that. The essence of patriarchy is men sacrificing everything about themselves for women. That's pretty incredible. And that's not particularly attractive for most men. And when you lay that on men, it's like, whoa, okay. I need to really think about this because it's it's not what I thought being an authority would be like. And if you actually explain that to a lot of women, I, I honestly think that a lot of women would say that's exactly what I want. That's what I've always wanted. It's what I've never gotten. And mm-hmm. I'm mistaking the sins of the patriarch for the sins of the patriarchy. But yes. the patriarchy is not the problem. It's the patriarch. He's not mm-hmm. behaving like a patriarch. Uh, he's behaving like a spoiled, entitled, libidinous man. It's interesting. You say there's no patriarchy in the Bible. It's true. But in this book in Ephesians, Paul in Ephesians 3.14, as he introduces this whole text, says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Mm-hmm. In other words, he's placing everything he's teaching under the notion of God's fatherhood. Mm-hmm. And that men who are fathers need to realize that they have to reflect who God is as father. Well, and I know you understand me, Peter, but just to be clear, I said that the word patriarchy no, I, it's not no, used I, in the Bible. I, I know you understand that, Peter. It's um, just interesting that very often, very rarely do you find the word father in Pauline writing, but here you have it as a prayer to start this whole section on the relationship of males and females. Yeah. Well, I, I think one thing that points to the 
the not just the righteous i mean the bible tells us that the idea of patriarchy is righteous but something that points to sort of its its naturalness if you like mm -hmm. uh, is, is modern culture and the kind of slump that men have fallen into as they've increasingly found themselves without without clearly defined male leadership roles um and and i think I think what something that's very telling, it's, it's what uh, Warren Farrell in his book, The Boy Crisis, calls the meaning void among, among men, the meaning void. And, and what, what do men need? They need to have a, a role, function. They need something to do, and, 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 which also involves an element of heroism about it. Mm -hmm. And one of the telling things is the phenomenal success that Jordan Peterson yes. has had among men and women. And, and what mm -hmm. is Peterson's essential message on this particular topic? And it's on this topic that I most appreciate Jordan Peterson. But his essential message for men is quit being a child and take on some responsibility. Yeah. And of course, this was actually the message of, of Mark Driscoll years earlier. There's nothing new about it. And in fact, reading this book that's just come out, uh, Jesus and John Wayne, which I'm actually really enjoying. What I'm realizing, I mean, a lot of people say, oh, Christians are not sort of on the front foot of culture anymore. They're followers. One thing this book has taught me, and we'll probably talk about it in another podcast, is that in actually, actually in one area, evangelical Christians really were ahead of their times. And it was encouraging men to be men. Mm. That is something that has recently sort of exploded onto the popular scene. But in actual fact, Christians were well ahead of that, saying it in the, the 70s, 80s and 90s. But they're encouraging so it now as, as talks. They're calling it now like toxic masculinity. Yeah. If, if you encourage a man to be a man, that's toxic. Mm. And that's, that's some of the, the pushback that we've seen with, with the Mark Driscoll. Well, mm. well, he was right in a, in a lot of ways. I mean, grow up. And that was one thing yeah. that Stephen and I were talking about is, is guys my age, 40 and younger, are still living in their mom's basement, playing mm -hmm. video games, watching porn for hours and hours. Yeah. And yeah. they don't ever grow up. They don't go out and get a job. They don't go to school to get to get ahead in another type of field. All the mm -hmm. while, women are going and joining the military, fighting wars that men should be fighting, going out and getting a job, going out and getting an education. Yeah. And not doing something that they're supposed to do, which is get married and have children. Mm -hmm. mm. And, and the sad thing is, Joshua, once they sort of get their education, um, you know, and, and, you know, this is this is slightly controversial, but we all know it's basically true. You know, women tend to look up for a husband. Uh, they tend to want someone who's sort of got it, really got it together. They, they tend to be attracted to people who earn more money than them. They tend to be attracted to people who are more intelligent than them. Mm -hmm. uh, they tend to be attracted to people who are more ambitious than them. Again, these are generalizations, but they're grounded in, in reality. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we're in this situation, Joshua, where we're actually seeing that there are more women on university campuses than there are men. There are some cities in America where in, in actual fact, um, what's often called the gender pay imbalance is reversed and women are actually on average making more than men. And with the, the, the phenomenon of women sort of wanting to look up to a man in all certain respects, you're, you're finding a generation of women who have achieved so much, they've got no men, there aren't that many men for them to look up to. And, and they find it very, very difficult to find a man. And, and, and 
and you know, for better or worse, men don't generally aren't going to be. You know, many men are intimidated by by women who are more educated, who earn more money, who are more powerful, and they will. While there might be a, a sort of chemical attraction, the other things will turn them off, and they'll look for someone else. And so these women who've done made wonderful achievements. Uh, find themselves sort of locked out of an aspect of femininity that in actual fact they find out that they wanted much more than these other things, and that is marriage and motherhood. Yeah, Dr. Deborah So attaches um, that she wrote a book called The End of Gender, and she's a sexologist and, um, you know, along with a lot of the people that we have referred to in these books that, um, that we've read, they're not coming even remotely from a biblical worldview, but Deborah so, um, studies sex and gender. And, um, she talks about how just our, our biology, the way that, that we are wired causes women to want different things and cause, she even says some funny things about whether a man should pay for dinner on the first date. And if he doesn't, whether a woman should see that as a red flag and based on biology (laughs) and psychology, she says, yeah, that's a, that's a red flag. And so it's just interesting to hear the commonality between what you're talking about, Stephen, and the things that I'm reading from women who, who study these things closely. Well, all the best books on this um, well, most of them are actually being written by women, Mary. I, I've mentioned Warren Farrell and jo- I should say Warren Farrell and John Gray. And of course, John Gray wrote Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. But oh, yeah, yeah. Book, yeah, yeah. Their book, uh, The Boy Crisis, is, is, is a very good book. Again, I, I don't believe either of them are professing Christians. Right. Um, but here's another one I'm reading right now by Carol Hooven, a, a Harvard academic. And it's simply called Testosterone, the story of the hormone that dominates and divides us. It, it, it only came out a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. This year it came out actually this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm reading it. And, and again, um, it's sort of talking about, you know, the, 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 the biological chemical differences in men and women that do actually lead them to behave and think differently. Now, yes. of course, which is not to say that we are merely creatures of our biology, Right. That is that is not the case at all. But we are embodied creatures. Yes. Um, and these things do, to a large extent, shape how we think and how and then and, and then on how we behave. So this is another one. Uh, a brilliant book uh, is uh, Erica Commissar's book. You, you guys might have heard this is a, an excellent book. Uh, Erica Commissar's book called Being There, uh, Why Motherhood Matters. And she sort of goes through sort of again, sort of the biology of women and talks a lot about uh, oxytocin, uh, the chemical oxytocin, which both yeah. men and women have. And of course, both men and women have testosterone, yes. but women have oxytocin much more than men and men have much more testosterone than women. And oxytocin is essentially the chemical in women. I know I'm sort of mansplaining at this point, which uh, <laughs> sort of functions, sort of makes the mother the sort of central nerve system of the baby it it sort of calms baby down Mm -hmm. and you know three years of being close to the mother with her oxytocin is Mm -hmm. absolutely invaluable for the proper functioning of any boy or girl and so again yeah it's sort of that 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 natural how nature sort of points to the roles that we are meant to have yes 
Yeah, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. I think it's interesting to hear you talk about oxytocin because I mean, my youngest is 11 now, but I think about even the things that I learned going to secular birthing classes and classes about, you know, motherhood, you know, the, the biological function of the things that would happen to me and my baby as, as I was going through motherhood and oxytocin was the place that came into play. And I, I remember my mom saying to me, even when my infants would cry and I would feel agitated out in public, reminding me, Mary, you chemically are responding to your infants cry in a way that no other woman in the room is because that's your infant. You're wired to respond to her or him that way. And that's an assurance that I give to young moms now, uh, you know, as you see them in the back Bible study, you know, trying to, to calm a baby down or, you know, apologizing in a restaurant because there's, there's a crying baby, but no one responds to that infant's voice the way that she does not dad. He's chemically not wired that way, you know, but, but the sound of our infant's voices changes the ways that our bodies do certain things. It's, it's an extraordinary experience. And that's not to say that we don't experience our femaleness in other beautiful ways aside from motherhood, but that just is, um, that just stands out to me, Joshua, you're laughing. And I'm wondering, (laughs) I'm just laughing because everything that you're just talking about is just so incredibly true. We, we co-sleep and we have co-slept with all of our children, but you know, when, when our, our current son starts crying, you know, he comes over he, and typically he's, he's nestled up against me right now for some awkward reason. But the moment he'll wake up and starts fussing, he, he first puts his face right here and he goes, no, it's not there. And he goes to the other side of the bed because he knows that's where mom's at. That's where the nourishment is going to come from. Yeah. And, yeah. you, you know, Leo would say talk about times where baby would start crying and she'd start to feel pressure in certain parts of, of of the breast area, right? Yeah. Um, chest feeding. Chest feeding is the new word. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, and, and it just, it's amazing how God, and again, this all points to natural law, natural theology, and, and that we are fearfully, wonderfully made. God made it with this, this telos, this, this beautiful design for function. So, and this is a place for evangelism opportunities mm-hmm. I've found where um, just recently I was at Old Navy, I was in the mall. Um, And the cashier that I was talking to was pregnant and shared with me that she was pregnant and she was, she was scared. Um, And I said, well, it is scary. (laughs) It's this life-changing thing. And I said, but you know what I learned as a mom, and especially through my, this birth of my second child, which happened at home without any medical people present was that I was made for this. I was designed to do this. And you will learn so, and so to, to talk about being beautifully made, you could just kind of see your eyes light up. Like who, but a Christian who believes in a creator, God gets to say to a, an expectant mother, no, you've been designed. You're going to learn beautiful things about yourself because of this process that you've been created for to then attach to the love of this heavenly father. You know, there's just so much opportunity when we talk about these things to share the beauty of our heavenly father. Absolutely. And to go back to Peter's earlier point about, you know, looking at this from the civilizational level, again, there's this sort of purpose void among men mm. right now, uh, which, which, which may be leading to an, another kind of void 
uh, among women, I, I think I can't help but think that a lot of it has to go back to the fact that we we no longer define man and woman in terms of procreation, fatherhood and motherhood, which I mean, we're always looking for something objective and stable to sort of anchor identity to, Mm -hmm. uh, to, to anchor our purpose to. And it doesn't get more objective and stable than the fact that our bodies are manifestly designed to make other human beings Mm -hmm. and other human beings are manifestly unable to survive more than a few hours without being parented uh, at least by a mother and mothers parenting children are manifestly unable to do it very long unless there is some male there at least protecting them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unfortunately, in modern society, the state has taken over that role. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when you just look at our bodies, Mm -hmm. it is obvious what should be grounding our identities and roles as male and female. Now, that's the ground of it. That's the ground. It doesn't mean you can't walk around on that ground. It doesn't mean you've got no room to move. And of course, you know, Proverbs 31 makes it very clear sort of what all all the aspects of of an ideal wife. And it is not just about being a good mother in fact motherhood is barely mentioned in it right Uh, a lot of it is economics and 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 beautifully at the end it's being a a wise instructor yeah so but i can't help but think to sort of take it back to uh, peter's point about the sort of the civilizational implications of departing from scriptural truths which is also where those gospel opportunities that you're talking about come in mary Yeah. Is that, yeah, certainly in the West, I should talk about sort of the prosperous, technologically driven West. Mm -hmm. Um, We have, we have, um, we've unhooked ourselves from sort of the purpose of male and female that screams at us through early Genesis. And it's reaffirmed after the flood as well. Again, the first command given to Noah and his family is go forth and multiply again. It's, it's, it's it's reaffirmed. Yeah. 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 Dr. Jones had written a number of years ago, purpose of male, female, but he said the Bible is always right in the end. It reveals that after the fall, God provided humanity with the family structure so that Eve defines her great achievement as having gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Eve knew that this was her great role in civilization, producing the line that would eventually give birth to the greater son, the savior who would bruise the head of the serpent. This provokes Paul to say that the woman and with her humanity will be saved by childbearing. Obviously, women can do many incredible things, but only a woman can bear and nurture children, which in turn protects human civilization. We mock and eliminate this glorious God-given calling at our peril. Our salvation came because Jesus was born of a woman. Peter, you wrote that? You wrote that. You are good. Good night, everybody. That's our show. <laughs> I, I was going to say, and not such high prose, that I listen to the BBC every night, and all I hear every night is the promotion of professional women. Mm. Never hear any word about women as mothers. Mm. We're living in an age where to be a successful woman, you have to be a professional woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it turns my stomach sometimes to, because it is constant. It's an ideology that has taken over 
a progressive uh, intellectual elite. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thesis, Peter, of Erica Commissar in that book I mentioned, um, uh, Being There, Why Motherhood Matters. Uh, and, uh, Erica Commissar is your typical, or maybe not so typical, sort of, sort of Upper West Side, New York, uh, liberal Jewish woman, actually. So she uh-huh. says, I fit the perfect stereotype of, of a liberal, as, as you Americans would say. In Australia, we, we call them, uh, I suppose, leftists, I suppose. Um, but you know, in her research over 12 years, she started to realize that one of the biggest mistakes that we're making in modern society is downgrading the status of motherhood. And, and she said, you know, we, we've elevated careers for women and we've, we've sort of debased the value of motherhood. Now, of course, everyone will say, oh, no, 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 we don't. We've just added more options. But you, you, you said it perfectly, um, Peter. How often do you hear in the, in the mainstream media motherhood praised? How often do you hear people being praised for being mothers? If I was a career advisor at, uh, at, at a high school, and, I, and a young woman came to me and said, you know, what, what do you think I should do with my life? And, and I said to her, well, you know, ultimately, I think what you should do is have marriage, is get married and have children. Um, now, let's think of what you might do um, apart from that. I'd probably lose my job. I, I would probably yeah. lose my job for perpetuating misogyny. So it's undeniable that motherhood is being de- sort of debased in our sort of cultural imagination. And Erica Commissar says that this is actually having serious social problems because what it means is women are feeling more of a of sort of an externally felt pressure to go out and work full-time, particularly in those first three years of childhood, when it'd actually be better if they were spending much more time with their children. And Erica Commissar says, and, and you can disagree with this, anyone there, but she does say, you can have it all, ladies. You just can't have it all at once. And her advice is basically have kids young, and then after that, think about other things. But And she points to incredible statistics with, of a sort of correlation between problems being experienced by children uh, since the 1970s and the rise of w- women who aren't spending as much time with their children in the early years as women were uh, prior uh, to the 1970s. And she's not trying to lay a guilt trip on anyone, nor am I, but she, she points to incredible facts like a, a 2011 study showing a 400% in the use of antidepressants uh, in children uh, over 12. So it's increased by 400%. 2014 Pew Forum study, the average working mother spends 1.5 hours per day with her child. 2009 uh, Bar-Ilan University uh, discovered that a mother's touch, and these are things that Mary's already spoken about, a mother's touch reduces cortisol or the stress hormone in both infants and mothers. And, and so the consequences of our culture's uh, sort of degradation of motherhood mm-hmm. uh, are not just, oh, we're getting something wrong. Uh, they're actually becoming uh, socially um, pernicious. Yeah. We're departing from God's created order. Mm-hmm. And what did we think was going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly the point, isn't it? And I guess this is what I'm looking forward to talking about in our, in our next episodes. Um, you know, we've talked some of about, you know, what scripture says and, and are we even really male and female? And, and then because the answer is yes, <laughs> um, Stephen, I think then we have, we have the implication 
of the next question, which is then how then shall we live? You know, how, how do we respond to that reality? Um, and I'm, I think that that's going to be a great conversation. Mm. And how should the church express it as well, I suppose? Yes. Yeah. I would love to keep, to, I, I, it'd be great if we could talk more about sort of the, yeah, the, the social issues of, of the, the, the confusion of, of, of male and female, boys will be girls, girls will be boys, mixed up, model that world. Absolutely. There's so much more we can talk about with that. Next week on the Truth Exchange podcast. It's a sign of a sick cult that would see procreation as, as harmful. I always tell people it's the best job in the world. Nobody can fire you and everybody loves you. What more would you want? Recovering from biblical uh, manhood and womanhood. This concludes the episode of the Truth Exchange podcast. This program is listener supported and only made possible through the contributions of friends like you. 